Um, hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, there's a group of us uh, that teach on Sundays here and up in Cedar Rapids, and it's uh, really great to work as a team. Sometimes it's harder than it is other weeks. Um, right now, as I shared uh, two weeks ago before we got canceled last week, Stephanie and I are sharing responsibilities and teaching through this series. Uh, and then it's really hard because, like, I think the message should go somewhere, and then she, la- the last time she, she had a different direction, then I was like, oh, that's actually better. I like your direction. And then this week, I was like, oh, I have a new direction, and she's like, I didn't know you were changing the direction of it. And I'm like, I didn't mean to, and it's really fun, um, and um, fun. And uh, But there's also a great opportunity for us to be able to learn from each other. A lot of pastors, you know, sermon prep on their own and alone, uh, and uh, sometimes it gets a little lonely up there, a little crazy, and so it's really nice to have some collaboration. Um, so today, we are kicking off a three-part series called uh, The Holy Spirit. And kind of like that video uh, addressed, there are some things that we do, that we say, that we believe that are honestly kind of weird. And we don't become aware that it's weird until somebody points it out. You know, it's, it's like Rockabye Baby. Like, that's something you may have had your parents Um, you know, recite to you as a child. But if you think about it, it's very weird that baby's in a tree. I mean, it honestly has more questions than answers. Why is baby in a tree? Why did baby get put in a tree on a bough? Why do we call it like a branch that is going to break? I mean, there's just so many questions. And then why would you be standing underneath there just waiting to catch baby? I mean, it's just, it should provide comfort. But when you think about it, I'm not sure that it does. Um, So anyways, uh, the point of that all is, is that we do the same thing with things in religion all the time. Um, And one of a very great example of something that we kind of make a little stranger and weirder than it actually is, is the Holy Spirit. There is a wild array of beliefs when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you in here may be new to church or may not have a lot of experience with the Holy Spirit, and that's okay because that's your experience. And so for the next three weeks, hopefully this is going to be a little introduction for you. Uh, for some of you, you know who the Holy Spirit is or the idea of the Holy Spirit, at least conceptually. Um, but if you were raised kind of in the tradition that I was raised in, the Holy Spirit, like we don't deny that it's there and that it's a part of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit theologically. Um, but we don't really engage with the Holy Spirit that much in the tradition that I was raised in. Some of you were raised in a tradition uh, that like foundationally expected the Holy Spirit to show up and things to happen. I mean, some of you, if you're ever flipping through social media, there's videos of churches online. If not, there will be now because Facebook's listening to me say it. So you're going to go home and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, you're like scrolling through social media and there's going to be people dancing and, uh, and, you know, dealing with snakes and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's just kind of, for a lot of people, it feels a little strange and weird and speaking in tongues and you're like, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so there's like entire groups of Christians that kind of center themselves on the emphasis of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Other denominations or associations maybe put the Holy Spirit in a different category. Um, The the one that we're somewhat affiliated with was, uh, is is an emphasis on purifying and sanctifying. So like really cleaning and cleansing out the sin in your life or what's called a holiness tradition. Um, So 
all that being said, we come from a vast array of experiences. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is kind of put those to the side for a little bit and hear what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks and then kind of put it all together and maybe, hopefully, there'll be a re-emphasis or reformulation of who the Holy Spirit is and maybe, hopefully, you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit to see what's behind the curtain and that it isn't quite, maybe quite as mysterious Um, quite as unknown as many of us think. So here's how we're going to start this message. So that's like the pre-message. Now it's the real message. Um, Something I know about all of you in this room and all of you watching online or watching this message later um, in a recorded form, what I know about you is something that I think we have all in common. At least, at least 98% of us have in common. And that is you and I, we all want to be transformed. Okay. Now, maybe that's not the phrase you would use or the words you would use or the adjective you would use, but we want to be changed. We want to be different tomorrow than we are today. We want to get better. That's why you don't often leave things broken again and again and again and again and again forever. You want it to be fixed, to be made right, and to be made whole. And we want that in our own lives as well, right? If something's not working, if we're facing anxiety or we're facing fears or we're having a lot of uncertainty in our life, um, we want that to change. You want to get better right? For some of you, you want to be more patient because you know you're so quick to anger. You want to be wiser because people sometimes come to you for advice and you're not even sure if you're giving them very good counsel. Some of you want to be stronger, maybe mentally or emotionally or spiritually. You want to be better. And I know this about all of you because you're here, okay? Now, you may not have thought about it that way, but I would argue for most people, the reason that they come to church is not to be the same tomorrow as they are today. That your hope is by this time next year, you would become a better, more transformed person than you are today. And so you come to church. In fact, I would even go so far as to claim that when you interact with church or possibly God, you're wanting some pretty dramatic impact into your life. You're wanting a divine change in your life. Because let's be honest, our coffee's okay, but it's not world-class. I mean, we, I think we get it from Dunn Brothers. I mean, it's, it's pretty good, but, it, but it's not like going to change your life. And the chairs aren't that comfortable. And some of you who are here this morning, it was really cold outside. And so, you know, tearing all this equipment and bringing it all in, it's really hard when the wheels don't even want to turn, right? Um, and, and so you don't come here for the work and setting up and tearing down chairs. I think you come here because you want to be transformed. You want to change and become better. And the good news is, for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about, like, the foundation of change in Christianity. Like, the foundation of something that is very powerful, that is very life-giving, and able to transform each and every one of us. And so that's why we're talking about the Holy Spirit for the next few weeks. Now, the Holy Spirit kind of makes Christianity a little unique because there's not, you know, like a one-on-one equivalent among religions. Like the Holy Spirit is this pretty unique being in the Christian narrative. And the Holy Spirit has been there since the very beginning. Um, A lot of us maybe think that the Holy Spirit tends to be more like a New Testament or like a post-Jesus kind of thing. But the Holy Spirit was literally there on Genesis chapter 1, page 1 of the entire story of God, or as we know it, the Bible. 
And we're going to talk about that more. But the one thing that you see throughout the, the story of God, and the one thing you continue to see when you come face to face with people who have interacted with the Holy Spirit, is they are changed. They're not the same as they were before. They were transformed. One of the best examples of this, we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about, is the, the closest followers of Jesus, the disciples. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I never thought about it before um, until I was prepping for this series. And this is kind of what made me veer a little bit in the direction that I wanted to go on as we opened this series. But there's something very strange uh, about the disciples. Um, because to begin, and, and we've talked about this before, they are men and women who are following Jesus. And they are very much like you and I. Okay? They're, they're common folks. They're hardworking folks out there just trying to make a living. And even though they're Jewish, they are very similar in behavior to most Christians today. For example, most Christians today, I would argue, um, and this may not be you or it may be you, depending on how you look at yourself and your faith journey, but most Christians today know that they are loved by God. They know the love of God. They know that God has done, at least in the biblical story, God's love has done some things for them or on behalf of them. And the Jewish people, they knew the love of God too. They knew the love of God too, because they had these prayers. Um, well, we have them too. They're in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, um, like the Shema. And the Shema is about that God is one God and that we should love God with all our mind, heart, um, and strength, and that God in response will love us too. And so they loved God and they knew God loved them but they took that for granted. And so do so many Christians today, let's be honest, right? Christians take this for granted all the time. I mean, literally there's this one story, some of you are familiar with this, where the presence of God is literally on top of a mountain, Mount Sinai. And Moses is communicating between the Jewish people and God, and he's telling them all the things that they should be doing. And what do the Jewish people do? They're like, oh, that's great, but we're just gonna make our own God. And the God we're gonna pick is a cow. You know, like, wow, of all the options, you know, a cow, great. Okay, so we're going to pour a bunch of gold together and make a statue of a cow, and we're going to worship that. And let's be honest, a lot of us, even today, we worship our own idols. Now, we may not pour them in and make them onto a gold statue of a cow, you know, but, but we do have things in our life that we put a lot of our energy into that, that really dictate and inform how we live our lives. Maybe it's our job, money, you know, those are the com common things. And those people, just like us, they knew the love of God, and then they met Jesus. And when they met Jesus, they let Jesus lead them, okay? They followed him, and they listened to him. They knew the love of God, and they were led by the Son of God, and they listened to him. And again, it's so funny because many of us do this today, you know? We, we know what Jesus says. We listen to it. We maybe even read our Bible on occasion. We may listen to a message here and there. But then when it came down to it, these disciples, just like you and me, when it came down, the rubber hit the road, when things went south, the disciples did what so often many Christians do, is when things get hard, they start to bend the rules. They'll follow it as long as it's convenient, but as soon as the going gets tough, you know, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll twist that rule or we'll ignore that or we'll, we'll explain this away or we'll give a reason why we couldn't follow what Jesus actually told us to do because the going got hard. When their life was on the line, what did the disciples do? They bailed on Jesus. 
They betrayed Jesus. They disowned knowing Jesus. So here's the question. If you think about, if you know the story at all, were people, were the disciples transformed by Jesus? I mean, they were certainly influenced by Jesus, if you think about the 12 disciples. And certainly along Jesus' ministry, there were people that, I would argue, were transformed. But the disciples on a whole, you know, you don't look at them and you think to yourself, those are just common folks struggling with very normal religious things that we struggle with today. Especially when Jesus was executed on the cross, and then the disciples were like, oh, that's all over. And so... They, they didn't realize he was going to come back, and so they kind of just like walked away. They thought he was dead, and they hid, and, and they ran away. Kind of interesting that these faithful religious people were doing and behaving in ways that I would describe as very natural. There were very natural responses to what happens in the world. Hey, we, we're following this person, and this person went down, okay? Somebody took him out, and so what do we do? We bail, and we, we go a different direction. They didn't stick with him. It's a very natural thing to do, that when the going gets tough, we kind of bail out. But then something really changed. And if you actually read the story, the disciples do things that aren't natural anymore because of what happened next. And it's one, that Jesus died and then he rose again, and that took them by surprise. John actually documented it this way. One of Jesus' followers, he wrote his account of Jesus' life. He said it this way. When, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were hiding, they locked the doors because they were scared for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And they're like, what now? Where'd you come from? How'd you get in here? I have so many questions. Who is this? And then they realized it was Jesus. And after he said that, John goes on, he showed them his hands and his side that had been impaled by nails and a spear. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And that certainly had to change some of their minds and some of their hearts a bit. Because when your friend dies and then you saw them die and then they rise again, you're like, well, that's a cool trick. You know, that doesn't happen every day. But it happened with Jesus. And then they begin to remember that, oh, Jesus said that that was going to happen. And that's even stranger and cooler all at the same time. So he died and rose again. But then it was the next part that really changed things. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed, which is kind of weird. But we'll talk about why he breathed on them. And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then this started like this chain of events that got out of hand in a good way really quickly. A few days, weeks later, they're in that same room and the Holy Spirit shows up. They're hanging out, they're praying, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit because Jesus said the Holy Spirit's coming. We're going to talk about that. And then the Holy Spirit showed up. And this is where we get a little uncomfortable. And this is where I think we start to push back against this idea of the Holy Spirit is because they seem to change out of a bit of their own control, and that makes us uncomfortable. What happens is the Holy Spirit came on them and filled their hearts, filled their bodies, and transformed them and empowered them in a way they weren't expecting. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, or the letter of Acts, here's what he said happened. Awe came upon everyone 
because many wonders and signs had been done through the apostles. All who believed were together and all, had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as they had need. So they start going out and selling all their stuff, saying, hey, this stuff isn't worth anything to me. I would rather it go to other people who are in need. That is not a typical, natural human behavior, is it? Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, and they broke bread at home, they ate their food, and they had glad and generous hearts. Again, not generally a natural response for us humans, is it? We generally don't break bread together and are consistently glad and generous in their hearts. We are generally selfish. We want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it, right? And their response was to praise God and having goodwill towards all people. And that day, the Lord added numbers to those who are being saved. So it's almost like this ideal community of people coming together to do some incredible things. And it didn't stop there. Because what began to happen is not natural things anymore, but it was supernatural things started to happen. This one time... Um, some of the disciples were out and they were having an argument with the religious leaders because they had done some things and the religious leaders didn't like it. And they didn't like that this Jesus thing that they thought they had ended when they killed Jesus was coming back and it was coming back strong and they couldn't understand it. It was making them really angry. And so they went and had some of the key disciples beaten. And as these disciples left, literally, this is what Luke said, after they left the council, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name, Jesus. So now, now you've got human beings who are suffering, who are being beaten, and their response is not to be angry about it, not to be bitter about it, not to gripe about it. Like, let's be honest, like we do all the time, Oh, this cold. Oh, it's all in the way. Oh, my boss. Oh, my spouse. Oh, my kids. You know, we grumble. They were beaten, and their response was to rejoice. That is not natural. That's supernatural. And then this other disciple who was there and filled with the Holy Spirit, he went on this whole preaching thing, and he was like telling people what's up, and it was really cool, and it was a really powerful sermon. I remember the first time I read it. <clears throat> I actually read it, I'm like, wow, this is, this is intense. And he laid out this sermon, and in response, the religious people came, and they started stoning him. And so what did, what did this disciple do? His name was Stephen. What did the disciple do as the, literally he was being killed? He didn't yell out. He didn't cry out. He didn't scream and make a whole thing or try to hit people back and fight back all this stuff. Here's what Stephen did. He prayed. Okay, well, I guess that's understandable. You're about to die. I guess you can pray. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And he fell asleep because in their minds, because they knew Jesus and Jesus didn't die, he came back. And what do you do when you go to sleep? You wake back up. And so in their minds, death wasn't a thing anymore. That you, it was almost like you would go to sleep for an unknown amount of time, but one day you would wake up. But what did Stephen do? He literally prayed forgiveness upon those people who were killing him, just like Jesus did. It wasn't natural. It was super natural because this transformation had started in these human beings. Their fear was gone. They were grateful for God, no matter the circumstances. They were not afraid of death. They felt comfort and loneliness, even though they were afraid. 
When sickness broke out, you read about this. Go back in the history books, the first 300 years of the church. I mean, it was just incredible. After the first 300 years, I'm not saying we haven't, you know, we're not failing, but we haven't done nearly as good. That first 300 years, when sickness broke out and plague broke out, we've talked about this before, what did they do? The Christians ran to the sickness and everyone else ran away. Everyone else spread the sickness around the world and the Christians stayed, sometimes sacrificing their life to care for the sick, which over time that behavior garnered so much attention and it led to the beginning of the first hospitals. And then often days in in those um, cultures, especially in the Roman culture, if you had a child or especially a female child that you didn't want, you just took the child and threw them in the dump. Sounds terrible, but it was an absolute reality. And what did the Christians start doing? The Christians, they didn't do the natural thing, which is to walk by and avoid someone else's problem. They took that problem and they said, hey, how can I help? How can I help? How can I serve? How can I give myself for my neighbor, even if it is an infant? And they started bringing in these infants and taking care of them and feeding them and raising them, which started the beginning of what? we call today as orphanages. And when the widows who didn't have financial support because their husbands had died, what did the Christians do? They helped the widows. In fact, they had whole big powwows around how do we effectively help the widows among us. And they started what we now know as food banks. This is literally within the first few hundred years and the Christians were the ones that did it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had come into their hearts and had changed them and was guiding their decisions and was helping them to see and do things that were not natural, but were super natural. They took the rules and the teachings of Jesus and they actually now did them and it changed the world. People let God's Spirit fill their hearts. Paul said, and we've talked, you've heard this many times in church, you've been around church at all, that Paul said, did you, do you not know because a lot of people didn't know. Your bodies are a temple. The point being, like, not, like, kind of, but not really, but, like, if your body's a temple, I always thought, well, then you got to go work out and take care of it, you know, like exercise and eat right, you know. Okay, Paul, I'll take care of the temple, you know. And it's like, no, your temples are a place for the Holy Spirit to live. And a temple that the Holy Spirit wants to be in is a well taken care of. Sure, maybe physically and emotionally, but spiritually taken care of. Christians started doing things not to freak people out and take them back. Not to say, ooh, that's weird. I don't want anything to do with that. But to love them and to care for them as God so loved and cared for them and transform them into the person that God had intended them to be. Listen to one of the first times Jesus really addresses the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And the first time I heard this, I was just like, wow, I had no idea that was even in there. But here's how Jesus introduces this whole passage is John 14, 15, and 16. We're going to talk a, a couple, grab a couple places out of this. In chapter 16, Jesus said this to his disciples because they're like freaking out. He said they're leaving. He's leaving and they're like, why are you going? And Jesus is like, hey, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you guys. I'm telling you the truth. It is to your advantage. It is better for you that I, Jesus, go away. Have you ever heard a preacher stand up and say, it is better for Jesus to go away? Probably not. Well, Jesus said it. 
He said, it's better for me to go away because if I don't go, the advocate, which is this Greek word that me, which is equates to the Holy Spirit, but, but it's an advocate. It's someone who is on your team, who wants to talk to you and fight for you and listen to you and help you and guide you. It's someone who is in your corner. It also can be translated as helper or comforter so that the advocate, the helper will not come to you if I don't go and I want to send him to you. In other words, the point being, as a Christian, and if you're with Jesus, you are shorting yourself, you are hamstringing yourself, if you are trying to be a good follower without letting the Holy Spirit into your life. Because Jesus is like, I want to send you this helper, and I got to go so that they, he can come. Okay, so Jesus, then how, how does the Holy Spirit come? Glad you asked, Jesus said. If you love me, if you love me, and you will keep my commandments, and if you do that, I will ask the Father, and he will give you that advocate to be with you forever. And while that advocate is with you, what that advocate is going to do, he goes on and says, is the spirit of truth. So the spirit is going to give you truth. And, and let's be honest, we in our natural selves like grace, okay? We like to do what we want and then get forgiven for what we want to do. And the Holy Spirit is the kind of person who's not going to just let you do whatever you want to do. The Holy Spirit is going to give you truth. And let's be honest, if you are seeking transformation, you need to be seeking truth. They're almost one and the same. If you really want transformation, you cannot live a lie. Because then all you'll do is create another lie upon another lie upon another lie. The only way to actually grow is out of a place of truth. And the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, will come and be with you, will come and be in you. And he goes on, I have told you things while I'm still with you, but the Holy Spirit, the advocate, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said to you. So Jesus is going to go away, but he's not leaving you alone. He literally says that. I'm not leaving you an orphan because that's not my way. I'm giving you a helper, and that helper is going to teach you and that helper is going to remind you, that helper is going to be that soft, gentle whisper in your heart and in your mind saying, ooh, should you really be doing that? Like, you know you shouldn't, but then you tell yourself you should, but should you really? And the Holy Spirit is not going to take over your free will, but it's going to be that presence that guides you and cares for you and gives you direction. Now, if all that's a little strange... It's okay, we're going to talk about it for the next few weeks. But here's the best way that I could kind of explain something that's fairly spiritual, which is not easy to do because we culturally are not a very spiritual culture, right? Let's, I mean, we're very, we're very um, scientific, which is nothing wrong with science. It's very enjoyable and really cool. But it, we don't have a great grasp for spiritual things like a lot of cultures did in the past. So here's the best way I can have to explain what Jesus is trying to get across to the disciples and Jesus is trying to get across to you. I want you to take, take a step out of the Holy Spirit just for a second. I want you to think about those people in your life that fill your heart, 
those people in your life that encourage you and empower you and strengthen you. There may not be very many, but think about it. For me, like some examples are going to be one as very easy as my spouse, it's Stephanie. My wife can speak words, as I think some of you guys can probably attest to you men. My wife's words carry a lot of weight in my heart. A lot of weight. And so if those words are positive and encouraging, that really strengthens me and encourages me. For you, it may be somewhat different, but there's people who speak or act into your life that inspire you. Another example is uh, like Elia, our our six-year-old. She will do this thing. Maybe your kids or nephews or nieces or something will do this. But um, she does this thing, and I'm going to try to do my facial version of it, but it's going to fall way short. Um, But she'll do this thing where she just stops and looks at me and kind of ducks her head just a little bit, just smiles at me, and just stares at me for a little bit. And then she goes off and does something. And this is what I hear when she gives me that facial expression. It doesn't say anything, but here's what I hear is, that's my dad, and I really love him. I'm so glad he's in my life. And I tell you, you know, your child does that to you. It, it just, it fills you, and it, and it makes you want to be better. It makes you want to transform to be a better parent, a better person in the relationship you have with that other individual. These are the kinds of people in your life that you don't actually physically have to be with. Just knowing that they're there for you and that they have your back is enough. You don't actually have to see them. I don't have to see my family to know that they love me. And that feels really incredible. And I'm guessing you hopefully have a one or two people that they may drive you nuts, but they make you feel that inside. They fill your heart and they change you and can transform you. Now, the shortcoming of humanity, the shortcoming is they can also hurt you, right? They can also pain you just as greatly. The benefit of the advocate, of the Holy Spirit, of the spirit of truth who teaches and reminds, who is there as part of God and wants to fill your heart and your life is that the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you astray. The Holy Spirit is not going to devalue you. The Holy Spirit is not going to be critical of you, is not going to hold you in contempt. The Holy Spirit is simply there to bring life into your life. The Holy Spirit is there so that when you're angry and you get that that little whisper from the Holy Spirit, it changes your temperament. Just as it is with my kids. When I'm so angry at them and they look at me and they say, I'm sorry, Daddy, and they come give me a hug, which does happen on occasion. It totally changes my demeanor. It totally transforms what's going on in my life. The difference is my experience has been with the Holy Spirit is he is ever present and ever reliable to comfort when you're hurting, to inspire you in a way 
that another person just couldn't do. And as a, redu- as a result of that life-giving presence in my life, it changes you, it transforms you, and it grows you. But they never, the Holy Spirit never walks away. Won't ever let brokenness get in the way of telling you that God loves you and God cares about you and God's there for you. The thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, because it is a part of God, sees the world differently than all the other normal, natural people around you and can do things in your life and lead you in ways you otherwise wouldn't go and lead to outcomes that you otherwise wouldn't have experienced without the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I'm sure everyone has come across a Christian or two, and maybe that Christian might have even been me, you know, it's like, hey, I always say that story, you know, I was agnostic for a period of my life, and then I became a Christian, like a 180 shift from critical, active agnostic to follower of Jesus and pastor, okay? That's not natural. That's supernatural. And that has maybe been your experience with other people in Christianity. But my question to you is, why would you not want that for yourself? Why would you not want that or have that rekindled in your heart? The Holy Spirit is like the glue that holds us together to the love of the, love of the Father and the leadership of the Son and inspires and strengthens us as we move forward. Some of you may know the love of God or the love of the Father. Some of you may know that that you have, that Jesus exists and you may believe that Jesus exists and you try to follow him. But maybe for so long, you felt like you've just kind of been walking through Christianity with a bit of a limp, not fully equipped to do what God has called you to do. And I want to suggest to you, and we're going to talk about this more for the next two weeks, so bear with me, but that the thing that's going to help you, the thing maybe that you've been missing is the helper that he sent for you. You just didn't know he was there or didn't want to listen, or he's been there and listened, and you've been listening in the past, but you've kind of quenched it. You've, you've stopped that relationship from flowing back and forth. My hope is, my prayer is, by the end of this series, you'd be in a place where you think to yourself, you know what? I do believe that there's a God, and I believe that God loves me, and I do believe that Jesus existed, and he died and rose again, but that hasn't really transformed me. And so the thing maybe that I'm missing and the thing that I should pursue or the thing that I should, the person that I should let into my heart is the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter to be there when I need it most. That you would know the love of God, the leadership of the Son, and you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to talk about this more of like, how the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, how does it kind of work and give you more details. But in the meantime, and as we pray here, I would just invite you to really consider what your relationship with this part of God, this person of God has been. And also match that with the reality of, do you really want to be better? Do you really want to be transformed? Do you really want to be changed from the inside out into something new and powerful? If you would bow your heads, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to not be scared, to not be afraid, to not push back against this idea, but 
to at least open ourselves to it, to not clench our hands, to not cross our arms, to not put a wall around our heart protecting it from something that's weird and odd or we've heard so much about and it generally isn't always good. But to a person, your spirit, who wants to advocate for us. Because Lord, I mean, there's not a lot of people in this world that genuinely want to advocate for us, that generally want to help us, that, that generally want to comfort us. Lord, help us to not fall into the trap of the disciples, which is, we maybe know about you, Lord, but we're not connected with you. We, we know that you're there, but we just don't want to have any real relationship with you. That we don't really want to be transformed by you. Help us to recognize that the thing we're pushing back, the thing maybe that we're quenching off or holding our fist around is the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit isn't there to take something from us, but to give us something that you have designed us to have from the very beginning. But it's always been our choice to receive it. Lord, help us to not be afraid of your spirit, afraid of the helper, afraid of the comforter, afraid of the life giver, but we would breathe your spirit into our hearts. And just as Jesus let the Holy Spirit anoint upon him at his baptism, we would let the Holy Spirit into our life as well. That we would maybe begin a process of getting to know that spirit in a way that we never have before. That, that from that relationship, it would lead to some things that are not natural, but to a supernatural change and transformation. That we would find forgiveness and a reluctance to sin in our lives. And instead, daily we would be drawn to the things that are good and rejoice in the things that are good. And that even though the world may be crashing around us or bringing us down or weighing deeply on us, that we would have a peace that passes understanding, a supernatural peace because of the love of God that's in our heart and that is found in the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to know you more deeply and in so doing, know your spirit more deeply and not be afraid, but to take a step every day towards a deeper relationship with you through not just your son, but your son's spirit. In your name I pray, amen.